Lord, we thank you for this day that you've given us the opportunity we have to be here, Lord. We want to ask your presence in, in a special way this morning, Lord, that your Holy Spirit may be using your word, using my words to present, to bring it to our hearts, Lord, and that your Holy Spirit may be opening the hearts of each one of us this morning for your message, Lord, for your glorification and our edification, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, if you have been here uh, frequently, we have been going through the series in the book of Hebrews. Uh, not the easiest book to, to study, but I think we're all growing, learning a lot uh, from that. I, I mean, I've been in church my whole life pretty much, and this series is bringing me a new perspective, a new understanding of many things, and I hope today we're going to make a couple more steps on, on that as we go in this journey. Chapter 8 is a special chapter in that sequence because the author of the book will tie together several things that he has been discussing in the previous uh, chapter. So it's a good standalone chapter uh, for us to, to understand the, the message. And one of the things that's going to give us a, a, an overall understanding is in God's plan throughout history. For example, is the Old Testament important for us Christians in 2023? Do we have to follow the rules from the Old Testament nowadays? All of them? Some of them? None of them? Can we claim the promises that God made in the Old Testament personally in our lives today? I hope I will uh, answer some of those or as we go through the word that the word will answer those, those questions. For those that like to take notes, we'll have three subtitles today. The foundation, the implication, and the application. Okay, so the foundation, uh, verses 1 through 5 in the 8th uh, chapter of Hebrews. The implication, verses 6 to 13, to the end of the chapter. And then the application of all that. So, the foundation... Implication and application. If you could open your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 8. Uh, for those that are new here, we use the ESV translation. So if you're doing on your phones, that's the preferred one. We have a few extra uh, Bibles in the back if you'd like to follow there. I will divide the, the, the text because there is a lot including it. So let's read the first five verses. So Hebrews 8, 1 through 5. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man, for every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not even be a priest at all, 
since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve as a copy and shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. This is the word of God. Okay, starting with part one, the foundation. Uh, and I will make that part a little shorter because that part includes a lot of the topics that Pastor Chris has been covering in previous Sundays. And it also covers a topic that will be the theme of his next Sunday uh, message. So uh, I would just want to highlight a few, uh, a few points here. First one, I said that in chapter 8, the author was kind of wrapping up some things. That becomes obvious as he starts the, 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 the chapter. On the first words on verse 1, he says, now the point in what we are saying is this. Right? He says, okay, you heard all these things. The point that we're going to make is this. And obviously, he is indicating he's going to wrap up a lot of the concepts that he has been going through in the book so far. We were talking the other day about uh, Hebrews, and we can only imagine how difficult it would be to be a Jew, a Christian Jew in the first century, hearing the words of this, of this book. A lot of the things that they had in high places, and properly so, the prophets, the angels, Moses, Abraham, the high priests, Jesus is superior to all of those. See that he, he is not diminishing, diminishing the value of those. He's just saying, yeah, those are important. Jesus is more. Okay, the supremacy of Christ. So again, I don't want anybody reading this to say, okay, it's, it's all gone. Those are all unimportant. No, they were important. Just that Christ is more important. He is the son of God. So obviously he beats the, the other uh, topics there. He's seated on the throne at the right hand of the Father, at the majesty in heaven. That's the, the, the way they, uh, the author calls God in these uh, first verses. Now, in this first five verses, he talks about another thing that was very special, very valued by the, by the Jews, the tabernacle or obviously the temple that replaced the tabernacle afterwards. That was where the dwelling of God was among his people. That was a very special place. That's where they went to offer sacrifice, to try to cover their sins, to establish a relationship with, uh, with God. And that's what the uh, author is going to cover in these first few verses. And... He clearly says, and Pastor Chris has mentioned this before, it's a symbol of what's yet to come. It's a symbol of what is in heaven. The tabernacle, the temple, all the activity that's happening there is kind of an illustration, a tangible illustration for the people to understand better God. Most of you guys know I'm an engineer. I love cars. I love car racing. So I'm going to use a little illustration here. The one thing that has evolved quite a bit recently is the simulator. Uh, 
It's, I mean, the thing looks like the cockpit of the real race car. The driver sits on it, there are screens around, and he will drive in all these circuits all around the world to practice. And he will do that many times. Obviously, if he crashes, nothing happens. He resets and starts again and all that. That's particularly important for rookie drivers. This afternoon, the, the Grand Prix will be in Miami. There are three drivers that never drove there before. So guess what? These guys probably spent the last several months on the simulator. Now, it's very precise. I mean, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a video game uh, that you can put on your TV or play at Acres of Fun. This is an elaborate thing. I mean, they have the elevation, the corners, the type of asphalt that they use, and the thing is monitoring the temperature of the tires, which don't even exist, but uh, it, it's very precise. It's still a shadow. It's not the real thing. So to a degree, I, I want to have you guys imagine, and probably Dave Lawson is thinking about his training on the simulator for airplanes. Similar story, just that I don't know much about airplane simulators. I know a little more about car racing. Uh, it's not the real thing. So that is the concept. What they were doing in the tabernacle, the high priest entering the presence of God, the, the Holy of Holies, it's all a symbol, something that was yet to come. Uh, when Jesus, our high priest, would offer sacrifice outside of the tent, he was not in heaven when he was crucified, and then he enters the presence of the Father with the offering, his own blood. Okay, that's the majestic thing about this parallel. But again, stay tuned next week. Pastor Chris will elaborate a little more on the, on the tabernacle uh, and its implication. So I want to move to the, to the implication of all this because that's the center of what uh, we're going to be talking this morning. Now, Hebrews 8 to 13, the author of the book of Hebrews, the majority of the, this text, he's actually quoting Jeremiah 31. So the words that he will hear as we read this text are coming directly from the prophecy of Jeremiah some 700 years before Christ, probably 760 years or so before when the book of Hebrews uh, was written. And you're going to notice the keyword covenant in this text that we're going to read. It appears seven times in eight verses. So it's repeated a lot. So he is definitely talking about covenant. And as he does throughout the book, he is comparing things from the old traditional beliefs of the Jewish people with the new message that Christ brought. So in this text, we're going to start seeing the old covenant versus the new covenant. That's the main topic of this chapter. Let's go through it again. Hebrews 8, 6 through 13. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it's enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no 
occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. So I showed no concern for, for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them in their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor, each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Wow. Some serious words here in, in this uh, comparison. And let's start by solidifying because covenant seems like a word that only use on Sundays once in a while in church. Right? So let's start by clarifying. It's, it's a contract. It's an alliance. It's a deal. If you see in, the, in your bulletin, I called the, the sermon today a better deal. Because that's what we're going to be demonstrating uh, right now. Uh, again, a contract. I could use several examples. I'm going to again pick something from my day-to-day -day experience. Uh, my company, Schaeffer, has Ford Motor Company as one of its biggest customers. It's almost a billion dollars globally in sales between our company and Ford. We ship them millions of parts every month. Obviously, we have pretty serious and big contract with them. Uh, it's a thick book. I brought the first page here. It says, Ford Motor Company, Global Terms and Conditions. So it's very clearly defined what they expect us to do and what they will do so basically, it's we ship the parts and they pay us. But it's like 200 pages to explain how that happens and a lot of details about, uh, about that. But it's a contract. Okay, so the covenant, again, a very churchy uh, word. Think about it as a contract. You could be thinking of a contract you did when you bought a car or a mortgage of your, your house or a marriage. I mean... Those are covenants that we make with other people that fine, you do this, I do this. Okay? That's basically what it is. I picked two verses that kind of covered a little bit in a summarized way the two covenants. Let's look at Deuteronomy 29.9. It's probably the best one-sentence summary of the old covenant. Therefore, Keep the words of this covenant. It's not working? I'm Is it? 
going to be loud now. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Okay. Deuteronomy 29, 9. Look, look, look at this. Pay attention. This is a big summary of the Old Covenant. Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all that you do. That's the Old Covenant. And I will put it here in a few seconds. Then a new covenant was presented by Jesus Christ towards the end of his ministry. Actually, when he is with his disciples in the Lord's Supper, in the Last Supper, he says, uh, this is the cup that is poured out for you. Is the, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant of my blood. Okay, so Jesus Christ is inaugurating this so-called new covenant. So let's understand that well, because I, I think that's going to clarify a lot of things that we understand. Last time I had easels here, my sermon went 52 minutes, so I hope that's not going to be the case. So let's look at this side, the old covenant, okay? The foundation of the old covenant was God's laws. That was the, the basis, that was the premise when God delivered the, the, the contract to, to Moses. It was a contract based on his law. And here was the deal. Obedience, it was what was expected from the people. And what God was offering was material blessings. Okay? That's what we read here. Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all you do. So, you take God's law, you obey, you get material blessings. Prosperity, victory over your enemies, protection. That's what God offered. So, the center here is man's efforts. Okay, the obedience. It's something that they had to work on. And they were doing it very seriously. They were working on it. I mean, if you see the religious people of Jesus' time, they were working on that. And if you read the Old Testament, you're going to see prosperity and victory very connected with obedience. The, I mean, if you go through uh, Chronicles or Kings, you're going to see the people get closer to God. They're blessed. They, they beat their enemies. They, they're... they're uh, Crops succeed and all that. They, they go away from God. They are defeated. They go to captivity. They, they have famines. So this is the old covenant. That was what was proposed. Now, what is the new covenant that Jesus inaugurated there? Okay, the new covenant. First of all, the foundation is not God's law. It's God's grace now. Okay? I hope people can read from the, from the back. What is asked from us in this deal is not obedience. It's faith. And what is offered is not material blessings. It's spiritual blessings. And the connection between the two is not man's efforts. It's Jesus' sacrifice. Okay? And... To clarify the spiritual blessings, we could put here 
peace of God and an eternal relationship with him. So this is the old deal. This is the new deal. The old covenant, the new covenant. I created a, an illustration here. I'm no Spurgeon, but I tried to bring something with all the defects that any illustration has. But think a bit about the old covenant like this. I'm selected for a job opportunity at Google. Okay, that's something that a lot of people would like to have. I have the, the background. I have the, my history that qualifies me for the, for the job. They make me an offer, and they take me from the land of Ohio across the desert to the land of California, and I go work there. I work hard. I make some serious money working for, uh, for Google. They have an employee handbook. It's like two pages, 200 pages long. I basically memorize it. I read it. I, I, I know it very well. That's their law. That's their employee handbook. I'm proud to work for them. I tell other people, my company is better than yours. Yeah, I mean, that's the old covenant style there. Uh, now, there's a thing. Long term, the retirement plan has one big condition. I can't make any mistakes. Well, and I, I do make mistakes. And I get punished very hard when I, when I do make mistakes. I can't go on day after day after day not making mistakes. But I think it's a fair deal. I mean, that's the deal that I was offered. If I do good, I'm rewarded. If I make mistakes, I'm punished. Every day, that's how my life goes. I think it's, it's a good deal. That's kind of what the old covenant is, okay? Now the new covenant, the other scenario that I created here. I'm a child in an orphanage. I'm kind of a rebel. Not even cute, okay? <laughs> this family comes, and they want to adopt me. They seem to love me. They jump through the many hurdles of the adoption process. Enormous sacrifices are made to find a way to adopt me. I believe they love me. I want to go with them. I want to be adopted by them. And regardless of what I have done, or even what I do now, that I have been adopted by them, they still love me. Now, sometimes it's tough love. It's not always easy. But they, I know they love me. They don't give me everything I would want because they know better. Okay? And I love them. And I want to express my my love to them because I recognize they, they love me. It's a fantastic relationship. I love spending time with them. And they bet, at the best part, they assured me they will always love me. Nothing can change that. It's a better deal. That's the new covenant uh, type of deal. That's kind of the best I could explain. But let's put some... Some Bible verses behind it, not just my, my little story here. First of all, I can confidently say the new covenant is better than the old covenant because the author of Hebrews says that, right? I mean, verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it's enacted on better promises. 
What are the promises here? Material blessings, prosperity, victory. Good stuff, right? I mean, I mean, who doesn't want prosperity, victory, protection? But this one has better promises. It's spiritual blessings. It's not for the next couple uh, decades that we're going to be living here. It's peace with God. Eternal relationship with him. So why is the new covenant better? Because it's based on better promises. Okay? And by the way, this verse says, he mediated by Jesus Christ, so it's captured there. So what are we talking about? The spiritual blessings. Let's support that with some text. Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. Okay? If we talk about peace of, with God, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay? Eternal life with him. The best known verse in the entire Bible. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So the promise of the new covenant is an eternal relationship with God, the creator of the universe. That makes this deal better than that. So, again, when the author of Hebrews is quoting Jeremiah, remember Jeremiah wrote that 700 years before Christ. So it's not like God created this plan, implemented it, and after a few thousand years he said, it's not working. I need to come up with a new plan. That's not the case. This had its place in history, and we're going to explore that a little more. But all the time when this was still valid, God was pointing to that one. I'm going to have another one. I'm going to have a better deal for you. Okay? Please make sure we, we understand that. And verse 10 is beautiful. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and then sh they shall be my people. I remember I was a teenager the first time I, either the first time I read or the first time I understood this verse. And I said, wow, that's it. It's not a list on the wall. We don't have a poster here with how many, 600 and some laws from the Old Testament. And we come, it's like, oh, missed law 323, uh, something like that. Uh, it says in this text that he will put his law in our minds and our hearts. In other words, it comes from inside. It comes, he loves us and we love him back and we want to do those things. It's not that obedience has no place anymore. It does, but it's not a contractual condition to get blessed. It's a consequence of having this better deal, a deal that's based in love. And we want to love back. So, yes, we want to be obedient. Now, it's not that God doesn't give material blessings anymore. He does not out of a contractual obligation. He does out of love. Do you see the difference here? So, when you're reading the Old Testament, you can learn about God's heart. You know what he wants from uh, his people. And that's all still valid. Please don't 
take out of this morning sermon that we don't need to, to read or, or pay attention to the Old Testament. That's extremely important. I mean, you will see the, the history of the lives of men that had a relationship with, with God. I mean, you, you read the Psalms from David, a man according to God's own heart. I mean, all that teaches how this love that, that brought us this new covenant, how it should work and how we can praise the, the Lord that is offering that uh, to us. So, the Old Testament allows us to know God well, to better serve him. It's not giving us anymore a contractual obligation, okay? The, the laws are not hanging on a wall and we check it externally and whether you like or not, you're going to do it. It's in your heart. That is the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. Now, this can be shocking. I mean, in many cases, we grew up in, in, in a church that was emphasizing that you need to obey for God to accept you. I mean, you may have had that experience, either explicitly or implicitly. I mean, there are, in many cases in our church experience, that it's either said with all the words or it's implied that, hey, for God to accept you, you'd better obey his, his law. That's not, that's not here. It's grace. It's not merit for something that you have done. That's not in the new contract that is offering you there. You don't bring anything to this new contract. It's not the works that you do. So in many cases, many churches have been putting an emphasis on obedience as a requirement to be accepted by God. It's not. It's a consequence of being accepted by God, of having been accepted by God. Okay? The same way, material blessings. There's a lot of people going through the Old Testament and finding all the verses about prosperity and applying them today and demanding them from God because that's a contractual obligation. Well, you don't live at that time anymore. And if you want to read all the, the, the promise for prosperity, you, you need to read all the verses that talk about the punishment as well. Okay? I don't see people going to P.D. Graham and, and having those engraved things with the verses that have God's wrath and God's curse on the people when they were not obeying. Maybe we should propose that to them, right? I mean, everybody would hang one in their house. I mean, Cursed be you. And it, okay, that's, I don't think that's a good business model there. So, again, why does this all matter uh, to us? The God who created the universe, it's offering a better deal. By the way, this deal was offered to the, to the Hebrew people, to the Jews, and it has been succeeded by this. So this is not on the table anymore. Even if everything that, after everything that I said, you still like this one better, tough. It's not on the table anymore. This contract is not optional anymore. Okay, so let's keep that in mind. So it's either this or you don't have a, a, a covenant with God. God is a perfect and holy God. And I'm going to the application now, okay? The topic number three. We are unable to live without sinning. Like the people under the old covenant 
could never follow God's law perfectly. Like my guy at working for Google could not live day by day, not ever failing the employee handbook. So, sin separates us from God. By the way, that's a thing that's valid throughout the history of our relationship with God. God is holy. Sin separates us from God. It worked there, it works here. It's always the case. We can't go to God with our sin. We can't go in front of a perfect God with the dirt that our sin uh, carries. The problem is, here in the sacrifice with animals and all that, they did that to cover the, uh, the sins, but they never had forgiveness of sin. In the new covenant, Jesus' sacrifice offers that. He paid the price. Jesus paid it all. We just sang together a few minutes ago. If you sang it at, uh, at out loud, I hope you believe what you were singing because he paid it all. It's paid. Now we can appear in front of God and sit down and God's not going to say, well, here's the list. You, you failed 5,323 times to follow my law, so I won't let you in. In the new covenant, God says in the final verse of this text that and their sins I'll remember no more. Yes. Whew, isn't that liberating, guys? I mean, it's not performance-based. God won't rate us on a, on, a, on, a, on a passing grade. I mean, you have to be C or better to enter heaven in your test against the law. That's not, that's not it. It's grace. It's not law. So I hope you, you understand that his law is now written in our hearts in our minds, it comes from inside. Again, I'm not saying let's live whichever way we want because we're not under the law anymore. It's under grace. That was uh, taken, uh, explained very well by, by Paul in his writings. We are still expected to live in a way that pleases God for love. Uh, do you understand the difference? I mean, not contractual obligation. Love is the reason we obey, is the reason God gives us blessings, material blessings. The contractual obligation is faith will generate spiritual blessings, eternal life with God. I will close with one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Romans 8, the final verses of it. It's a song of victory for those that understand this and have placed their faith. And faith is total surrender. It's not just believing, yeah, I believe Jesus Christ came, and yeah, that's way more than that. It's putting your life in his hands. It's total surrender. Understanding that his sacrifice is the only way you can be right with God again. So, if you even want to open, because it, it's eight verses, Romans 8. 31 to 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? 
It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's again the word of God. Let's pray one more time. Lord, we thank you for the deal that you offer us, Lord, for your grace, for your love. We want it, Lord. We want to put our lives in your hands. And we want to have this eternal relationship with you, Lord, the creator of the universe. I mean, that's unimaginable how you even offer that to us, Lord. We, we, want, we want to be with you. We want to honor you with our lives. We want to glorify uh, you with, with our lives, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.